Whole night of science guy. Over there, without the cool theme music. And you got you guys? Got Bill Nye, the science guy? Thank you. Um, Because today we're kind of talking about uh, kind of a technical, theological thing, and I know that when we start doing that, some folks get a little sleepy, I decided we would have illustrations. Physical illustrations of stuff and pictures. Because what I want to talk to you about today is one of the topics that has been, interestingly enough, under assault a little bit lately. Um, Recently, more than any time in the last 30 years that I've been a pastor, um, people are starting to talk about the Trinity and uh, to specifically question the place of Jesus in that Trinity. There were some folks who were making arguments. They were, they were working really hard to demonstrate um, sovereignty of males and stuff like that. And in all of that kind of stuff, they were, uh, they were kind of downgrading Jesus, which I think is a big problem. I'll tell you why I think it's a big problem as we go on through this today. But I just wanted to, I I want to touch on this. Uh, Remember, we're we're in this sermon series called The Things I Want to Talk About. So this is one of the things I want to talk about. Um, Because I'm concerned that if you don't understand who Jesus is, it throws everything else off. That if Jesus is not God, then we're dealing with some weird thing. We're dealing with something that's not God dying for us. It's some other kind of thing that's gone on. And we're, we're off completely where that's concerned. Uh, one of the interesting things that Jesus said, that we'll come back to in a little while, is he said, go into all the world, Jesus' words, baptizing, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? Notice that Jesus mentions all three. You're baptizing, you're you're baptized, you're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not because the church said, oh, this sounds cute together. This is because this is exactly what Jesus said we were supposed to do. Um, Ethan Guadarrama was baptized, not here in our church, but while he was at Redwood Camp Meeting. Ethan, I want to ask you to come up. And I just wanted to bring him up in front of the church because you didn't get to see him be baptized and give him his certificate of baptism, which is just... Our way of saying welcome to the family and something to commemorate the date that you were baptized. Welcome to the church. Stay with me for a minute. Would you bow your heads with me as we ask God's blessing upon Ethan? Father God, we recognize that going under the water is a ceremony. So we ask that you would complete this thing, this demonstration of Ethan's commitment, by filling him with your Holy Spirit. I pray that the gifts of the Spirit would become really evident in his life. He would begin to understand how you want to use him in the future, what you want to do with him for the kingdom, how you want to touch other people in the church and in the world because of what you've gifted him with. I ask that you would fill him with your spirit and that the gifts not, would not, only, not be the only thing, 
but that the fruit of the Spirit would become evident in his life. That the people around him will see Jesus in him. That they will note your character when they see his actions. I pray for your blessings upon him. I thank you for what you are doing and what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you make sure, take a good look, welcome Ethan to our family when you talk to him today, when you see him around church. Thanks, buddy. Do you have anything you wanted to say? I didn't think so. <laughs> You're pretty quiet. I didn't expect that. When, when, uh, well, someday when we uh, baptize that uh, little man with the question, there will be things said. <laughs> right, Jaden? <clears throat> so what I wanted to do was try to give you some pictures of this, some textual information about this, And like I said, I put a few handouts out in the back if you want some more information to follow up and kind of look at this with. But I want you to to start with that day by the river. Remember? Jesus is there at the river. John the Baptist is there. John's got his usual crowd. There's a few Pharisees and scribes hanging out in the crowd. There are people who have come because they just want to know what what John is doing. They want to understand. It's kind of this weird spectacle. The guy dresses funny. He looks funny. He eats funny stuff. And in, in all of those things, they're kind of, he kind of is a spectacle. And so some people are just coming out to watch. And then there are other people who have come out because they are absolutely convicted that they need a change in their life. Remember we used to talk about, uh, we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, the idea of repentance. This is what they're doing. They're going in one direction. Now they're turned around and going the other direction. And now they're, they're wanting to be baptized to demonstrate this change in their life. They're wanting to be cleansed. They're wanting their life to be different. And so in all of that, there's John and all of this menagerie of people, and Jesus is standing in the group. And people are coming out one by one, you know, you've got all these folks, and John's baptizing folks and baptizing folks, and Jesus walks into the water. Jesus himself walks into the water. Now, wouldn't it have been cool if Jesus walked on the water out there? It would have messed everybody up, though. How are you going to baptize that guy? He won't go under he walks out into the water, and he asks to be baptized. Do you remember what John said? John said, I'm not doing that. I should be baptized by you. I don't, I don't, I, I'm not the guy to baptize you. And Jesus said, no, let it be done to fulfill the will of the Father. And so John baptizes Jesus. Remember that day? Do you remember what happens after John baptizes him? The scripture says, after his baptism... Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. So you have Jesus, where's Jesus? In the water. The Holy Spirit is now where? Descending like a dove on top of Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Have you noticed that all three are present Have you noticed? Jesus is in the water. The Holy Spirit is descending on him physically in a manner that's actually seen by people. And then thirdly, the Father speaks, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. There they are. They are all three members of the Godhead present in that thing. Okay? There are tons of texts all over, particularly the New Testament that speak of this idea, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Trinity is not something grabbed from Roman paganism and drawn into Christianity. There are people who argue that. There are people who argue that Trinity is something grabbed out of paganism and drawn into Christianity. It's just not so. 
Throughout the scriptures, there has always been a we when God spoke. Do you remember back in the very early stages of the creation story when man is being created? Do you remember what God said? Let us make man in our image. Let us. God has always been in us. Whenever God spoke of himself, he was in us. When you go to Revelation and you see the coronation of Jesus, you look at the throne and there's God sitting in the throne and this green rainbow around him and there's four living creatures and 24 elders and all kinds of stuff going on. And then when they, when they claim that Jesus is present, when, they, when the 20, one of the 24 elders speaks to John and says, the Lamb of God, or says the Lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open the scroll, they turn and they look to the throne. And they don't just see God there in the, anymore. They see a Lamb as if it had been slain in the midst of the throne. You see, in this picture of God, you always have kind of a confusing image. It's always a little hard for us to grasp. So if, I just want to take my, uh, my Bill Nye the Science Guy shirt out. Okay? So here's... An egg, right? How many eggs do I have? One egg, okay? When I open this egg up, there are two more parts inside, right? There's that white part that apparently isn't bad for you, and then there's that yellow part that apparently is bad for you, okay? There are three parts, but how how many eggs? One egg. One egg composed of a shell, a white, and a yolk. Three different elements, one egg. Got it? it. Make sense? Most everything in our world, in fact, everything we know of in our world, comes in a liquid, a solid, although this solid is kind of melting. And what other form? A gas. Now, do you see the gas? Not unless it gets cold. If we let it get really cold in here, you could all make the gas yourself. And you'd be able to see it, right? There's moisture all around you. There's water vapor all around you. We have the solid form, the liquid form, and the vapor forms. God is like that. He is tripartite. Okay? In his revelation of himself to us. Okay? What, did I spill on myself or something? Thank you. What I want you to understand is that God, as he explains himself to us, is tripart. Okay? Tripartite. Okay? I don't think God is limited by what we see. I think it's how God demonstrates himself to us. Here's the picture. We live in a three-dimensional world, right? So what do you see? It's a globe, I understand. What What does it look like? It's a sphere. It's a round object, right? Round all the way around. It's a sphere, okay? This sphere actually has a flat spot in the bottom, so it sits still. What do you see? It's a bowl, right? It's a little cylinder, okay? Now, if you are in a three-dimensional world, you can tell that this has elements to it, right? It's round, and it's round in all directions. This has other elements to it. It has dimension. It has roundness, right? Now, if you lived in a two-dimensional world... Watch this. Impressive, eh? 
If you lived in a two-dimensional world, everything in your world is flat, right? So if you lived in a two-dimensional world and you were looking at this, what would you see? If you looked at it like that, you would just see a circle, right? If you looked at it like that, it would be filled in on the bottom, right? What would you see if you looked at that? You would also see a circle. Why? Because you only see two dimensions, right? You can only see flat objects. You can only see things as if they were flat. You live in a three-dimensional world, so you see things with more depth. You see things as different than a flat, two-dimensional world could. If you were trying to explain this to a two-dimensional creature, you would have to get creative with the way you described it, right? You would have to say it's round, but that roundness isn't limited to one plane. That roundness extends around the roundness. You'd have to try to find a way to explain it to that flat, two-dimensional person. When you think about God, recognize that you are never going to understand him. Okay? The God you can understand is a God of your own invention. The God that you can explain, oh yeah, I got God figured out. No sweat. That's the God of your own invention. That's not a real God. That's not the God of the universe. That's not the God who expands beyond your dimension. God invented your dimension. Therefore, by definition, he must be outside and greater than that dimension, right? God invented the time clock you use. Therefore, God, by definition, must be outside and greater than time itself. Is this starting to blow your mind just a little bit? Okay, that's why I brought the egg, because it's just easier to think about. Right? That's easier to figure than outside the dimensions of time and space, Right? But if you think about what we're talking, we're, God is bigger and in greater dimension. We already know there are dimensions beyond the third dimensions. Physics has pretty much demonstrated it. Okay? We already, that's already accepted as physical truth. We don't really know how to describe them. We just say they're out there. Mathematically, they have to exist. But they just can't be explained to people like us. Because we live in this limited three-dimensional world which is pretty cool to us, but to God probably looks like a playground. Probably looks like a little sandbox out here we live in. Okay, so we're going to try to look at something that by its nature is going to be hard for us to understand. So we got, we're okay with that as our starting point? If you ever get confused, just look at the egg. Go back to the air or the water and just imagine this air. Okay? Here's a little picture of it. So that's God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? Three equals one equals three. Right? New math. Three equals one equals three. It's common core. Okay? Just think of it that way. Okay? (laughs) Three equals one equals three. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. Got it? Second, the Father is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. Got it? I'm only getting like one or two yeses. The Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son. Okay? Okay? Now, the Son is God, and the Father is God, and the Spirit is God. No sweat, right? 
They are not each other, but they are all one. They are three different beings. Three equals one equals three. They are not each other, but they are all one. Okay? Yeah, I know. Trinity kind of blows us away a little bit. It just makes us, makes us kind of go, oh, no, I don't understand. Okay. So now go on top of the mountain with Jesus. Jesus, after the resurrection, invited his disciples to, his disciples to meet him on top of a mountain. They go up. We don't know what mountain it is. It's up in Galilee. They go up to this mountain as a, as a prescribed place where we'll go. Jesus said, this is where we're going to go. I'm going to go up on top of the mountain. So then the 11 disciples left Galilee going to the mountain when, where Jesus had told them to go. So this was a preordained place. Go meet me there. Okay. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. We mentioned this text just a little while ago. I have been given all authority on heaven and earth. So he has taken back the keys to the kingdom. Satan got them. Adam gave them to him. Jesus died, was resurrected, and took them back. Okay? He has gotten back. Yeah, that's a good thing to amen. He has the keys to hell and death. He has the keys to the kingdom. He is now in control. All authority has been given him on heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, the Father, the Son, or you can do it, the Father... The Son, whichever you want to, but the Holy Spirit is definitely the heir. Okay. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching these new disciples to obey all that I command, I, all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's never going to be a time when I am not present with you. The Apostle Peter wants to reinforce the idea, talking to the folks, to the folks that are out there in the dispersed Members of the church, the Jewish church, the Christian church are dispersed throughout Rome. To the pilgrims of the dispersion, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. The disciples use the terminology, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus told them, go baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're using the same terminology. The Apostle Paul, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion with the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit again. Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul again, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. We, come, we can now come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done for us. Do I feel like I'm going fast to you? You know why I'm going fast? Because ADD guy like me is already going, okay. Next. I know those of you who are ADD like me are having trouble already. So go to the creation story. Go back to the very beginning as the whole story starts. When we amp this whole thing up. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was what? Without form and void. So the earth has this mass, but it's not organized. It's this mess. Okay? It's without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was where? Hovering over the face of the water. Did you realize that right in the first two texts... Of the scriptures, you have two parts of the Godhead. Right at the beginning, you have the Father present. God is creating all things. And then the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the deep. This is not just a New Testament idea. 
This is an idea that has gone back through all of time. God has always tried to explain himself into our dimension. He has tried to explain himself into our dimension. Okay? It is always necessary for a being greater than us, like God, to break things down for us like you do for a little child. When you're trying to explain things to a child, you don't use the same vocabulary. You don't use the same illustrations. You don't draw the same pictures. You bring it to their understanding. We are like babies compared to God. We're probably even less than that. And God has to break things down for us. So he explains himself into our dimension for us to understand. Does this make sense? Remember, a God that you can fully explain is not God. A God that you can fully understand is not God. Because God is bigger, greater, and outside of your ability to know. He has put in your brain the ability to know certain things. He has given you those things. As the one who designed you, as the creator, he has to, by definition, therefore, be greater than you. If greater than you, greater than your understanding. Three plus one. 3 equals 1, which also equals 3. But for us, there is one God, the Father by whom all things were created, and for whom we live. And, and, there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created. Time out. First line. There is one God and Father by whom all things are created. So we read this stuff and we just blow right by it like, oh yeah. We don't stop and realize they're explaining God to us. They're trying to help us see something beyond our comprehension. He's explaining God. But for us, there is one God and Father who, uh, by whom all things are created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things were created and through whom we live. For whom we live, through whom we live. We live for God, the Father, for His glory. We live to lift Him up through Christ, who alone makes us worthy to even approach the throne of God. All and both creators. So is Jesus God. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 That story you've all heard, that story you've all told. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Who with us? God with us. You're going to have this baby. All right. He's going to be born. He's going to be this cute little package. You're going to throw him there in the manger with a little bit of hay. And you're going to just try to take care of him there. Wrap him in swaddling clothing. And when he's all swaddled up and laying in the manger, you know what you have? Oh, this is one of my favorite phrases. Giant cosmic power. Little tiny carrying case. (laughs) The Godhead in the baby. The creator of the universe in a baby. God, not just explaining himself into our dimension, but entering into our dimension for our understanding. For the purpose of our understanding. For the purpose of our getting it. For the purpose of our realizing we can trust Him. 
God inserting himself into who we are, into the dimension in which we live, so that we can understand who he is. Build me a sanctuary. Why? So that I might dwell with them. So that I might be in their presence and they might be in mine, so that we can react and act and understand each other. Same theme for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What's the next one? Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Big titles. All the titles we give to Jesus as he enters into our world, the Son of the Most High, the Son of Man, the betrothed of God. All those terms we use, and they throw us all off. Well, how can he be the Son of the Most High? How can he be the Son of Man? And how can he be the betrothed of God? How can he be the begotten of God if he's actually God? Yes. No question about it. No problem. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was? God. There are Bibles, there are people who try to add a word, add a letter there. They put A before God. It's not there in the Greek. If you find it, you're reading a Bible that's been corrupted. Somebody added it in there. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Is what John said. As far as we can track the Greek, as far back as we have it, and we have it a long way back, it's never had anything in there to define him other than God himself. He wasn't a God. He was the God. He was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and behold, his glory, the glory of the only begotten, there's that word, of the Father, full of grace and truth. How are you going to explain how we got here? Well, we planted him in a baby. We'll just say begotten. That'll be easier for you to understand. The only begotten, the Son of God, the Son of Man, bridging the gap between the Father and the sinful world as only he could. The answer was Jesus. The question was, how do we get out of here? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Having this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Can we just stop right there for a minute? Take on the same attitude that Jesus had. Have this attitude in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Who, although he existed in the form of God... did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Who emptied him? Did God empty him? Did God force him to empty him? Yes and no. Is he God? Did God empty him? Did God force him to empty him? Can you force yourself to do something? So did God force him to empty him? You see how hard this is? 
The father did not force the son to do anything, but it was God who emptied himself. Got it? The Spirit didn't make Jesus do this, but it was God who emptied himself. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. Look at the word likeness really carefully. Was he actually just a man? He wasn't just a man. He was both a man and God. He was in the likeness of man, but he was still a part of the Godhead. You got a headache yet? I'm starting to get a little headache here myself. But what I, want, what I want you to try to understand and try to get your mind around is this is God trying to explain himself to us like you trying to explain a sphere to this guy. It's like you trying to say, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not just... It's not just a round circle thing. It's, it's bigger. It's different. It's, it's got shape and contour. There's more in it than just a circle. It's not just a circle. It's something else. Well, what is it? Well, it's, it's a sphere. Well, what is that? Well, it's a circle. That's a circle in all directions. How does that work? I don't know. It just is. See, this is the problem. If you were trying to explain this to a two-dimensional person, the words would be difficult. The explanation would be difficult. It would be very hard for them to understand what you just took so easily to understand. God is inserting himself into our world. He is explaining things in our understanding. He's explaining things that have been really dumbed down for us to get them. Part of our problem with Trinity is it's beyond what we're capable of understanding. Imagine if he said, actually, I'm in like ten dimensions. Woo. And it just as fact, just as much might be true. It would just be so hard for us to get. He said, let's just not tell them that. Let's keep it simple. They're not that, you know, their algebra is going to be hard for them. Just let's keep this as simple as we can. It's God inserting himself into our world so that we can understand who he is. And it's hard for us to understand because he's greater and bigger and more than all of us. I want to go to the Holy Spirit just for a minute. Because have you ever wondered about the personality of God? The Father? You know, we think we know the personality of Jesus because we get to read about him in the Gospels. But have you ever wondered about the personality of the Father? What's God like? What's the Father like? Well, it tells you in the Bible. It's right here. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. By the way, there's a bunch of stuff in there about bad things you shouldn't be doing. Next. That's what the three little ellipses are, all the things you shouldn't be doing. Okay? But the fruit of the Spirit is the characteristics of God. Is, it, is the Spirit God? then the fruit of the Spirit in your life is the outworking of the character of the Spirit in your life, right? Therefore, the outworking of the character of God. So what's God like? Well, that's what he's like. God is loving. He's joyful. God is joyful. God skips. He looks at stuff and says, cool. I like that. That's actually what he said at the end of each day. At creation. 
you know, they couldn't just say it to that because who knew when Moses was writing it what cool meant. Cool meant chilly to Moses. God finished. It was the end of the day. He looked at everything he said, built and said, cool. And that was the first day. God is joyful. God is peace. God's heart expresses peace. God is at peace. God is long-suffering. This is one of the ones we really like about God. He's patient. No matter how dumb our question, he smiles and he takes us and he answers and he begins to speak in a way that we might understand. He's kind. He's good. He's faithful. He's gentle, and he's always under control. We talked about that last week, that if God ever gets out of control, it's a mess for all of us. God has to, because if you have ultimate omnipresence, omniscience, and omnipotence, you have to be under control at all times. Against against such things, there is no law. You know why? Because it's the character of God. Jesus, according to Hebrews chapter 1, he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things. Hanging on the cross was the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation, the exact representation of his nature in human flesh. Jesus said when he was talking about being the good shepherd, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Here's why this is so important. If Jesus were somehow a creation of God, sent to the earth to die for man, it's just a glorified, trumped up human sacrifice. That's all this is. This is just another form of paganism. And up there on the throne, you have some angry God who needs to be appeased and requires that someone die for him to be appeased. If, if this is just somebody being sacrificed on behalf of mankind so that God could be appeased, then we're into some weird kind of paganism. And he's invented a creature good enough to be a sacrifice for all of us. We're not dealing with God sacrificing himself for his creation. If Jesus is not God, we have now thrown into some weird paganistic theology of people being saved by a virgin being thrown in a volcano. From the virgin in the volcano to Jesus on the cross, if he is not God, is just one single line. It's just a little cooler looking virgin. That's all. That's all. But if he is God, if he took up his life and he laid it down to take it up again, if it was God who stepped into humankind, if he humbled himself and became like us, an exact representation of God in human flesh, if it was God 
going on the cross, dying for mankind, the story is completely different. Because now you have a self-sacrificing God being willing to die on behalf of those who have sinned that he created. It's a completely different idea. It's not a sacrifice forced by anyone. It's a sacrifice volunteered for the rescue of his children whom he loves. It's motivated by compassion. It's motivated by kindness. It's motivated by love. It's not motivated by appeasement. It's not the father separate from God sitting back saying, Somebody has to die here! If you don't understand who Jesus is, you're just back to paganism. If you don't understand that Jesus is in fact God, you're back to paganism. You're back to a God who can be controlled and manipulated by the behaviors of something on the earth. He's ticked and we need to calm him down. He's angry and we need to stop him. He's vicious and we need to appease him. But if he's God, if Jesus is in fact God, it's a different story. It's the greatest story of compassion and caring. It's the greatest story of love ever told. And it answers the questions that have been there from the beginning. It answers the question about the character of God. Is God caring? Is God selfish or is God selfless? The cross says he's selfless if it's Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the only true God, the exact representation of God in human flesh, God himself dying on the cross. If it's not, then it's just the same story. And Satan was right. He's selfish, self-centered, and mean. Sometimes we think these old doctrines have no application to us. There's just some dusty old theologian figured this out or thought this through a thousand years ago. has no implication for us. But if we misunderstand this, if one of your friends comes up to you and says, Oh, well, Jesus, well, he was a creation of God. He wasn't actually God. Would you please... Help them understand the risks. Because if Jesus was created so he could die, it could have been you and it could have been me. But if he was God, it's a completely different story. This is the sacrifice that compels us to follow him. If this is really God, and he gave himself for us, then this is what compels us to follow him. We cannot be compelled for very long by fear. We cannot be compelled for very long by our need to escape hell. We cannot be compelled for very long by anything but an astounding picture of love.
this Trinity thing is, is hard to get. It's hard to get your mind around. But it's extremely important. Because a God, not a man, created the world. Outside the dimensions of our space and time, decided to, to make a world. And populate it with people who would have free choice. Even though he knew those people would choose the wrong thing. Because with foreknowledge, with knowledge about their future sinfulness, if, if he didn't create them, then he's manipulating them. And he's manipulating everything else. But he decided to go ahead and create them knowing that it would cost him his life, knowing that the only way to separate them from the death sentence that was theirs, not as a result of anger, but as a simple fact of the existence of the universe, that he went ahead and created this planet, populated it with men, gave them free choice, and when they sinned, set in motion an answer to the sin problem that could only be done by him. And in the physical form, that was God. The pre-existent physical form, that was God. Decided to enter the physical form that was man. Die on a cross so that we could go home. That's the story we take home. That's the story that keeps us connected, keeps us coming back, keeps us believing that He can be trusted. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we have a hard time understanding you. By faith in your word, we accept your explanation. And we thank you for your gift, for your sacrifice, so that we might have the opportunity to join you in heaven. We look forward to the day when rebellion is no longer a part of us and where the fruits of the indwelling Holy Spirit are common in our lives. In Jesus' name, we ask because of his representation and sacrifice. Amen.